This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to the next installment of my top 50 games of all time. I'm not going to do any preamble for this video or the next couple. You can watch the original or the last one. Uh, for all that stuff, we're just going to jump right into the list here. So number 40 is On Mars. You know I left off the last video with uh, the Galarus. This is my favorite Vitalisher game on Mars. Absolutely love this game. Uh, player count wise, don't like the solo mode. I uh, like it two, three, and four players. That's fine. I don't really mind which you know player count I play. It's going to take a little bit longer with four, but I think there's enough kind of going on in your turn that you know you can you can take your time taking your turn. Like I said in the last video, and then I'm going to have enough to kind of process. This is like my, my favorite Mars game. There's been a lot of Mars games over the years. Uh, I just love everything about this. Like, you know, just the idiosyncrasies of some of the different like technologies and the cards and all this kind of stuff that you can do. It, it does get a little bit on the abstract side. I said earlier that the Gallerist I thought was probably his best kind of thematic game, thematic marriage. On Mars is just, just kind of below that in terms of that, you know, mechanics, the thematics marriage. But I really like the mechanics of On Mars that much more. It just, there's so much cool stuff going on um, with like, you know, having like the shipments of the goods kind of cycle between orbit down to Mars and then all the different types of buildings and stuff that you can build and how you're all kind of like building together, but you're, you know, you're not really cooperating, but you're kind of piggybacking off each other and all this kind of stuff that's going on. And there's just a weird kind of worker placement like it sounds like a night and day cycle kind of thing going on. I don't know what else to compare it to, like kind of like Mage Knight or something like that, but it's not really like that. But you have this weird sort of oscillating worker placement thing. It's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I can't really say much about it. It is a huge beast of a game, uh, but it's just magnificent to sit down and play it. Now, the alternative, because I'm doing alternatives to some of these, would be uh, Gaia Project, which again is like it's a space themed, big, huge beefy Euro game. Now Gaia Project is based on uh, terraforming, um, no, terraforming, uh, the Terra Mystica, not terraforming Mars, Terra Mystica, which is a fantasy version. Gaia Project is kind of the sci-fi version. I prefer Gaia Project to uh, Terra Mystica by a little bit. And uh, I just find some of the other sort of enhancements that it has to be a little bit better. Um, but Gaia Project is another one. I don't really like the solo mode. I like it two, three, four players. I think any player counts fine. It to me it gets a little abstract. I talked a little bit about this in the last video of the marriage between mechanics and theme. And Guy Project like almost gets there thematically. Like it, it has some real cool tenuous stuff, but for the weight of it, it's not quite enough thematic. Now, although because I'm doing my top 50, just know that if I was doing a top 100, Guy Project would definitely be on the list. I don't remember where I priced it out at. Um, it gets a little nebulous after about 40, 45. So um, it's in there. It's in the top 100, but I just don't know where it would sit. Uh, but yeah, On Mars is just absolutely bonkers bananas. Just amazing heavy Euro. And I can't recommend it enough if you like that style of game. So that's number 40. Uh, number 39, speaking of bonkers bananas, is Necromunda. <laughs> totally different game. <laughs> then On Mars, sometimes you just... Sometimes you surprise yourself when you look at this little like how? Okay. So on Mars, now number 39, Necromunda, is a miniature skirmish game. 
Although, I feel like it's more of an RPG, and that's kind of the way that I prefer to look at this game, is sort of a tactical RPG, because the combat and all that stuff, that can be... That can be the least important part of the game in some ways, or the least like, at least part of where your attention is at. I mean, like managing your stuff and your base and your after game stuff and like figuring out territories and stuff when you, you know, you run a campaign and all that kind of stuff. Like that can, <laughs> that can take up a lot of, a lot of your time when you have a game day. Uh, but I really, really adore uh, Necromunda. It just is a very, very old school, um, crunchy, uh, miniature skirmish game where you're going to really kind of live and be at home and just kind of sit with your, your war band or your team, your gang in this case, and really kind of live through them. It's not really competitive in any real shape or form, although in practice it's competitive from a thematic perspective. And what, I, what I mean by that is you have like two teams or two gangs out there just out like trying to kill each other. So there's, you get a competitive sense in a thematic way. But if you look at it as like a real, like, I don't know what a good example is like balanced competitive framework for gaming. It is not that that's not what the game really uh, exudes, but it still engages me in that way. But it's just the opposite side of the brain. than it would be the mechanical side of the brain, but I still kind of triggers that competitive urge if that makes any kind of sense let me know <laughs> because i don't think that it does but it just gets in that gritty you know gritty survivalist competitive vibe without really kind of being that way mechanically mechanically it's a role-playing game with some tactics in there to kind of get you into it into the fighting part of it but that's what i like about it that's what i like about this gritty sort of like exponentially post-apocalyptic dystopian hellscape of a game. I like that. It's I like that it puts you in that sort of per perspective of a survivalist kind of thing. And that's what I love about the Necromunda game. Um, now, I always talk about player count. It's it's really a two-player game in the battles, but it's better if you play with a campaign, you know, with some extra people and, you know, like four or five people probably tops I would run. And, you know, you have your kind of stories and stuff like that. You need to really, I think, play it with the Arbiter, which is sort of a new rule that was kind of introduced later on with some of the books to kind of run it as a, as a game master. The Arbiter can also play like their own gang or they could maybe play the, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of them. The police squad, you know, the police gang, you could play as them or something or whatever you want to do. You can play as another gang and just kind of be like the ruling gang. And so build up a little narrative arc and stuff like that. So you see what I mean with an RPG? It's really designed for that sort of experience, but for people that really want to kind of get there down and dirty with the tactics and the, you know, the dice rolling and all the different mechanics and stuff like that. So the alternative game that I have here could not be more different than Necromunda. And that's uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar Warcry. So it's Necromunda sci-fi, Warhammer Age of Sigmar Warcry's fantasy. It's a very much more lighthearted approach to the miniature skirmish game. Uh, when you play your campaign, you there's not a lot of like customization that you can do, first of all, to your warbands. But each player is kind of like on their own little quest. So you just play each other and you kind of interact with each other. So it's this sort of um, thematically like this thing called the Paths of Glory. Everybody's kind of like wandering the waste wasteland of the chaos waste right and you know they're trying to get Archeon's favor and they're kind of like all on their own little like murderous crusade the, the two games have that in common <laughs> but you can kind of play scenarios that don't really have anything necessarily to do with each other once in a while they will because you have like a 
sort of final scenario to kind of finish your quest and get your glory points. But it's almost like you're just kind of haphazardly interacting with these different people. So you can just play, you can just start your own campaign and just go to the store or play with your friends and you just kind of keep track of your own stuff and then you kind of level up and then you will finish the campaign. You can pick another one and go on from there. So it's very loose and haphazard and all that stuff. And it's, it's, it's like I said, it's kind of the opposite of Necromunda. It's kind of like very beginner friendly, relatively the Necromunda. And you can kind of play fast and loose with it. It's, there's not a lot of setup time. It has like its own kind of packaged boxes you can get in very specific terrain setups um, that you can do. And you can reuse the terrain in a lot of different ways and configure the map in a lot of different interesting tactical configurations and all that stuff. So it's a little bit more easy to get into and that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun too. Um, and it has kind of a cool like dice activation thing. I think I talked last week about the claustrophobia game. So it's got it's almost like a little flavor of claustrophobia there with some of the special ability powers and stuff that you can you can trigger off, which is pretty cool. Anyway, so that's number 39, Necromunda, just an absolute beast of a game. Now, number 38 is a game called Civilization New Dawn. And this one I would recommend uh, with the expansion. I think the expansion is, is necessary uh, to play this game. I would not play it without the expansion. It is absolute blast with the expansion. I would say player count wise, I wouldn't play it with the solo mode. I didn't like that at all. Um, I played it up to four, yeah, two, three, and four players I've played it. And it's just a lot of fun. So it is a kind of a streamlined, pared down, almost Euro-esque, almost um, civilization game. And based off the civilization uh, video game. This has got the Sid Meier's license. So you got some, some of the similar artwork and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really good. Like. It's, it's way better than I thought it was ever going to be when I first tried it. And again, you need the expansion. I did not like it when I played it without the expansion. This was years ago, got the expansion. Everybody was saying, you gotta try it again. So I did and I was like, okay, good. <laughs> this works really, really well. And it has this interesting bit where you're, you're trying to take over territory and stuff like that, but that's not really what the focus of the game is. It has this really kind of ingenious way that you're still, you're still gonna fight and have little wars and stuff like that, but it's not quite as like catastrophic as some of these other kind of map exploration 4X style games can be. But you have these other kind of ancillary goals of trying to complete these different objective cards and get points that way. And this is a couple other things, but it's not super complex. It's, it's a little on the complex side, but not that bad. Uh, and it just handles some of the interesting little details of Civ games in such a cool, elegant way, you're like, oh, that's so clever how they did that. Because it could, you could have turned it into this like whole mini game thing and this extra thing that you get to think about. But it just, it just works out really, really well. And I really recommend it if you, if you like Civ games and you want kind of a quicker one. It only takes a couple of hours to play, especially when you play with like two or three people. Then it's it's going to go pretty quick. Now the alternative to this is another game I really, really like. It's called The Golden Ages. Now The Golden Ages come out from Stronghold Games. It's got an expansion, which I think is not as necessary as the expansion for Civ New Dawn, but I still think it, you should get it. Um, it just makes the game a little bit better, I think. But I think it's fine without it. But this is a definite Euro game style civilization game. It's very Euro-esque. Um, so if you know, the combat or whatever, civilization, it kind of, you know, it's not your thing. I would highly recommend the Golden Ages. Uh, it's just a unique, fun, civ experience. And it, again, this is one that is not really like 
a lot of other games that I've played. And I, I really recommend folks at least try it just to kind of, just to see that it's possible. Because there's always this kind of like grail idea of a game that was like, you know, I want a Civ game and I want it to be like an hour and a half, two hours tops and just be very elegant and eurified mechanics and not a lot of like, you know, backstabbing and trading and dice rolling and big wars and combat. You know, that's kind of been the holy grail. And to me, Civilization New Dawn kind of takes the cake there, but it's going to turn off some people that don't want really any kind of interaction. Although Golden Ages has some, but it's it's definitely a little bit more gloves off or gloves on, I should say. Uh, in the golden ages and I would recommend folks give that one a shot. Anyway, so that's number 38 Number 37 is the castles of Burgundy. This is a Stefan Feld game probably needs no introduction um, It's not my favorite Feld. So there'll be another one up up on the list there. I really like it I got the new one coming and the collector's edition or whatever it is really excited to play that uh, this one has kind of fluctuated you know, in certain terms of my list, it could have maybe been in my top 100 before. Now it's kind of crept back up um, because it's, it's been one that the family has kind of been able to revisit and play quickly and without too much like refresher in, in terms of the rules. And so we're able to pick it up and play quickly again. And there's just a lot of fun stuff going on and my game group has been playing it. Um, well, it's probably been about a year since we played it, but um, you know, when, when, it, when we do pick it up, it's fun. We play it and it's like, boom, everybody's going and it's quick and snappy and you start to see kind of like a little bit more of the long-term kind of stuff. It's a little tactical, like uh, on the surface, but there's some stuff going on in this game that it's like, you know, it's really cool to kind of try to plan out, you know, some of the yellow building scorings and the all those things, kind of end game bonuses and get the little combos with all the different animals and the trigger the combos with the castles and all this kind of fun stuff that you can do when you put your tiles out and all that stuff. Uh, it's just really accelerating. There's a lot of fun expansions and stuff that I've tried with it. The different maps are really fun to play with. Uh, it just adds a lot to it. I'd play it two, three or four. It plays really quick, like a fun little two player game. I remember when we played at lunch at work one time, we knocked out a game in like 45 minutes. We're like, screw it, let's play Castle of Burgundy. <laughs> and so we played it just back and forth and we were just going and just having fun and not really paying attention to each other, but we just, we really liked the game. So it was like, oh, let's just knock it out. And you can do that. Or you can play a little bit longer of a game and be a little bit more strategic and thoughtful about it. But it's a game that can kind of live in a lot of spaces and stuff. Uh, so I'm so excited to play the new one when it comes out. Uh, the alternative to this one I have is called Jorvik, which is originally Spikerstat. Now, Spikerstat, you needed the expansion, I thought, to make that game really good. And the expansion is called Kais Spiker. Um, Jorvik takes that sort of strange, like, German Middle Ages shipping game <laughs> with, like, fires and warehouses and turns it with, mixes it with a Viking theme, which I thought kind of like, to me, detracted a little bit. I don't know. The game is so, the, talk about dry games. The game is so dry, <laughs> I think, that if you throw a Viking theme on it, it just like doesn't fit. You know, it didn't fit to me. Like, cause it's a, like, it's this glorified, funky auction game. And I like that you, like to me, the like Vikings not, is not a Viking thing. I'm not doing a Viking thing right now by putting this worker down to bid on this like track of goods. Um, it's, it's another one similar to the golden ages though. I would recommend people try it. If you can somehow magically find spiker stat and Kai spiker, cause I think it needs the expansion to be like amazing. Spiker stat by itself is, 
I don't know. It's it's an acquired taste. We loved it. And I, I like it at all the player counts, two, three, four, and five, because it's absolutely cutthroat, like stab the person across the table of the temple. <laughs> five players. We've had some a lot of games of this one that are just like, yeah. They they got they got like testing in the best way. Let's just say that. Um because yeah, it just gets crazy. So the expansion though loosens it up a little bit the game without the expansion is like way tight and you got to be ready for that and it's like a you know let's say a knife fight and a phone booth that is five player um spiker stat if you want to just loosen the the door a little bit you can you can throw in the expansion that's what Jorvik has and Jorvik i think is more readily available so for me the the viking thing it doesn't work but if you want to get it you can probably get a bargain prices i would get it it's a fun like friggin' weird, wonky auction thing. There was that other game that came out. Uh, what was the name of that one? Uh, Capstone did, I can't remember. It was originally like in a shoebox from like 2005 or something. It was this weird spatial auction game. Jorvik or Spikerstat is in that ballpark of just like absolutely mind taxing, but simple. Brick game's very simple, but absolute mind taxing auction style game. And it's a Feld game. That's why I throw it in here, Castles of Burgundy. Completely different animals, those two games, Jorvik and Castles of Burgundy, completely different worlds. Okay, so that's number 37. Uh, and speaking of different, number 36 is Eldritch Horror. This has been kind of a staple in my collection. I've got all expansions and stuff for it. They're not uh, creating anything new for it, although I think they're still producing it and making it. I think you can find it. Well, I'm not sure. I think it's been a while since I've seen a copy in the shop. Uh, this is my favorite in that kind of Arkham Horror style of game. It's Arkham Horror, but it's over the whole globe. And I just love like picking random expansions, throwing them together, playing through. It's It has a very adventurous sort of vibe to it. And, you know, just kind of like kind of going along and seeing what happens. Almost like a uh, if a lot of people like that fortune and glory game, which I've never played, but this feels like that, how I imagine that game feels is you're on this big pulpy world traveling adventure and there's all kinds of crazy demons and monsters and you're going on these different sort of quests and things like that and trying to get different weapons and items, but it's all just absolutely nuts and bonkers. This one player count wise, I think we played it six player one time. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> you probably want to cap this one at four. It's great solo. I, I love playing it solo. I usually, when I play solo, two-fist it. You know, I play the two different heroes and stuff like that. Uh, three, four players, you know, it's fine. Um, there's a wonkiness with a player count, and I can't remember if it's an even or odd number of players. So you want to add in or subtract a character based on that. I can't remember. There's a funky sort of thing with it. It's not a huge thing, um, but if you go on BGG and look it up, uh, look that up about the odd or even number of players because it, it does something to the difficulty of the game It's not a big deal um, But yeah, this is one of those like Easy plug-and-play quick setup, you know grab this deck of cards grab this extra map from one of the expansions set up and go shuffle the decks And then you're off and you're just running to see what happens and you're trying to you know Fight the big bat at the end and you usually lose I've lost this more than I've won easily uh, But it's fun that way. I, I like just like that easy to get into accessible kind of adventure now, the alternative would be Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. I would probably argue, uh, I talked a little bit about this in my first video in the series, I'll talk more about it in the last one. I would argue Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition is probably a better game design than Eldritch Horror. It just, uh, there's been some really epic, fun, just massive, massively fun, <laughs> 
experience I've had playing Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. You got the app, you got the different quests and stuff you can do, and just this whole thing about the some of the characters going crazy and turning traitor at the last second that just make it so ridiculously fun at the very end. Um, and it's just some of them, there's just lots of different vibes and stuff like that that you can get out of that game. I don't know how readily available this one is. Uh, compared to Elder Shore, I'm not really sure. I know they both have kind of sunsetted new per- game production on this, new expansions, but I don't know. Um, but Elder Shore is just much more easier to get in and play and still have a lot of fun, crazy, wacky scenarios. Uh, but I would recommend you try either of them, actually. So that's number 36. Number 35 is completely different again. Um, you're, this is going to be a theme going for the rest of these videos. Number 35 is London 2nd Edition. Uh, this is a card game from Martin Wallace. Uh, he had the original one he published under his own banner of Tree Frog Games, and now Osprey has the new one. I really like the new one. It does some great improvements. It's a card-driven, economic uh, game, like San Juan, Race for the Galaxy, Glory to Rome sort of vibes to it in a way. A little different, obviously. You're kind of trying to rebuild London after the fire. You're taking loans. You're building up these different types of buildings and systems and workplaces and schools and everything for the people as you rebuild London. I just love that whole theme of that. And it's really, really tight and fun and just so different and unique. It's an economic game and it's card driven and you're building these routes and love it at all the player counts, two, three, and four. That's fine. There's no solo mode as far as I know for this. Um, and it's just fantastic. It's great. This is another one easy to get into, relatively easy to teach. You know, it's got some, some complexity there. Um, above your standard like Monopoly game and stuff like that, but it's not too bad. Um, I really, really enjoy it. Now, the alternative to that would be Hallertau, I would throw out there, because that's an Uwe Rosenberg game. It has very card-driven sort of ideas. It's a little bit more of a worker placement game, but you're really trying to build up like a card engine, but in a completely different way. London is much more card-based, but Hallertau, if you do things right, you can get it and start to chain a bunch of cards out kind of towards the end of the game as you build up your resource engine and build your big old like town center uh, type of thing and, you know, swap resources like every Uwe Rosenberg game, we get these resources to swap for that and get points. Um, I would recommend that as an alternative because that's, the Hallertar is like kind of like your more traditional kind of Euro game with lots of cool card stuff and London's kind of its own like beast and its own unique kind of unicorn of a game that's a card-based board game Euro economic thing. Um, but yeah, so if you want something a little bit more traditional, Howard is a really good example of that and would probably slip into my top 100, speaking of that. But London, I cannot recommend it enough. It's just, it's brutal in a way, but it's like not that, not too brutal, I don't think. So I think you could be okay with that because sometimes Martin Wall's games can be a little bit brutal. Uh, but this is sort of semi-brutal. <laughs> All right, so that's number 35. Uh, number 34 is Thunderstone Quest. Now, this is the latest iteration of Thunderstone, which came out, you know, 15 years ago, whatever. And it's a deck building game, and you, it's, a, it's a dungeon crawl, really. It's like a quest game. You can go through and you move your figure down through the dungeon, and you get cards and upgrades and upgrade your characters that are in the deck. And you go back to town, and you buy new ones, you get new items, you upgrade your characters, you go back to the dungeon, you go down and you fight, you get the cool items, and go back and forth and kind of loop, play that game loop a little bit. And then you eventually will unlock the big bad and everybody's get the chance to kind of whack at that. And then you have a winner. So it's a mostly competitive uh, deck building game. 
And you can also play co-op, which is really fun. There's the, um, oh my gosh, the Barricades something. Okay, so I'm never brain fart. The Barricades expansion, which makes it solo or co-op, but that's really cool. It's also very tough, actually. Um, I don't know. I kind of like it both ways, you know. Um, I like the co-op side. I like solo stuff. I like the competitive side. I like playing through the campaign competitively because it's like, oh, well, okay, you, so you won the game, so you get to keep a card or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And then you play again, and you just kind of reset, and then you reset your decks, and then maybe the one guy keeps the card, and then or everybody keeps the card. That's right, sorry. And you pick a card, and you just kind of play through six games, and it's not like, it's cool because it's like, the town is just like way more realistic than most RPGs and everything. Like, if there's a problem in the town, and the evil, like, demon fairy lady in the forest is messing up everything, you don't ask one group of soul, or, you know, heroes to go, you know, you five, you're the five that are going to do it. No, you go up and ask everybody, <laughs> everybody you can get your hands on to go do it. And everybody's fighting it. And then at the end, there's one group of heroes that did best. And so, okay, you guys, you guys win. You guys, you guys are the real heroes. We all contributed. Okay. We all get our participation trophies, but you get the big trophy because you won. And so then you play it again, and then the next thing, and you go, like, that's cool. I like that. Like, that actually, that's not something like that would obviously be interesting or thematic or fun to me, but in this kind of setting, it actually works. It's like, oh, well, why won't we all cop them together? Because we're all mercenaries, you know, and we want to get the glory and all this stuff for ourselves, but we're still going to help the townsfolk kill the evil monster. Like, that, that makes sense. That feels real to me. So I really like that. Uh, but you can play co-op and stuff like that solo too. It works great. And it's fun. Like it's, it's very, has a very good sort of story arc to each game where you feel like that big ramp up and you just feel more and more powerful. And it just does a great job of that whole thing. It just really juices, gets your juices going and it just works with that deck building mechanic really, really well. And it's coming from somebody that did not like the original Thunderstone at all. It just was not didn't do it for me, but they've really kind of iterated over, uh, this design over the years. And I think it really got to a fine, uh, you know, fine edge there. Now the alternative here is uh, Lords of Waterdeep. And this is a two to five player game. And I would play it probably at any of those player counts, frankly. And I like it because the reason I kind of link it with Thunderstone Quest is because it, it's a fantasy sort of setting, but it's a different kind of vibe on it, right? So it's a and d game, Dungeons and Dragons, but it's a work placement game. And you're building buildings, and you're working for the lords of the Waterdeep, and you're recruiting warriors and clerics and rogues, and you're going on these little quests and spending them. <laughs> like, you're just getting mercenaries and spending them, and just, you know, go do this quest, go do this thing. Uh, and all stuff. And it, so it feels, it's cool, because it's like this sort of, like they talk, the part of D&D that nobody talks about it, like how do the civilization the governments and all these sort of aristocrats all function you know you're always the adventurer like the lone crusaders out in the wilderness you know doing your thing but it's like oh we you can make like a game in this world that has all of this kind of other stuff going on which must exist at some point and it's really fun and it's easy i played it with the family the game group and it has some real uh, unique and interesting mechanics with some of the intrigue card play. That's something I haven't really seen in many other games, especially when it came out. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun game. Like I said, I played any player count, two to five. Anyway, so that's number 34. Number 33 is Cryptid. That's from Osprey Games. And this is a game that is like a deduction game, not a social deduction game, but a pure kind of deduction game. Like you think of Clue, 
or any of those kind of games where you're trying to find like the one sort of final solution by process of elimination. Everybody's trying to find, in this case, the location of the cryptid or like the, the boogeyman or Bigfoot or whatever, Sasquatch. Um, and you're trying to do that. And I just absolutely love this game. And there's something about this game that's probably just unique to me and I think one other content creator, but I don't want to say his name to embarrass him because he may not agree. <laughs> but we, I know this guy. Uh, we'll just call him, uh, we'll call him David. Uh, but he seems to really like this game too. And it, we played this game together at a convention one time and we were, I was like, oh, you like this is just as much as me. So I'm not a freak. <laughs> because I really think this game is just like the best deduction game that I've ever played. It's just so cool how... You start the game off with like a little piece of information and everybody's like adding their little thing. And then based on the cubes and the discs and everything on the board, you start to like, your mind starts to just like swirl and be like, oh, 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 this is where it's at. And I can, the only way I can kind of talk about it other than just, you know, reviewing the game uh, would be, it's kind of like Kingdom Builder in a way that, that Don, speaking of uh, deck building games, Dominion creator, Don Vagarino, um, Kingdom Builder has this weird kind of thing where you kind of like, on the map, you kind of encroach on this final point. Completely different idea. But Cryptid has that same sort of spatial visual thing where you're like zeroing in on the spot where the Cryptid is based on the kind of sharing of information on this sort of central map. It's just really cool. It's just so fun. And I cannot recommend it more. I don't know that I've... Oh gosh, I can't remember. I've played this a lot. I don't think I've ever played it with two or anything. I'm sure it plays with two. I think it only plays with three. But yeah, any, three, four, five, yeah, definitely, um, I don't think it plays with two. <laughs> I have to look at the box. Three, four, five, though, great, perfect. I like it with five, it doesn't matter to me. Um, little story. So, uh, I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm bragging. So one time I won this game five times in a row. Like, as I got to, like, a ba basically, like, a very zen place with it. And one of those times was a five-player game. I won it on the first turn. Now, I went last... So there was four turns in front of me, and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm in the zone. I just guessed the thing, and I won the whole thing on the first turn, on my first turn, on the fifth turn. Um, yeah, there was a time when I was, like, playing this a ton, and I wish there was, like, a Cryptid Championships or something. I probably would... I, I played it after that, that period of time and, like, not done that well. But, I mean, I've still won since then, but, yeah. There's something about this game. It just seems to sing to me. Oh, now the alternative would be Decrypto which is like code names, but like amped up gamer code names. And Decrypto is not something that you could really play, I think with the family groups or anything like that, but it is something else. And it is one of these kind of, it's pretty simple mechanically, relatively, you know, it's got some complexity there, some just some quirkiness to it. Um, but once you kind of get a group that likes this thing and and can kind of invest themselves and play it a couple of times in a row, it just really comes together. And the competitive aspect of it is really cool. Because you know that feeling when you're playing charades or Pictionary or something like that. It's a very kind of innocent, lighthearted game. But <laughs> at the end of the night, people are like, they're out to kill each other playing this dumb game. The crypto has that same, it's, it's different energy, but it's the same kind of energy there where it's like, Oh, you know, screw that team over there. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. You know what I mean? So it has that sort of vibe, but in this really kind of weird metaphysical mental kind of space 
of this like code decryption word solution kind of thing where you're trying not to like give away your clues and stuff to the other team. A lot of like code names, but just a little bit amped up, you know, a little bit, I think a little bit more interesting, uh, not as accessible as code names or anything like that. But I would definitely recommend folks give that one a try. So that's number 33. So number 32 is Rear Window. This is a game that was on my top 10 games last year. Uh, again, a very different kind of social experience. This one's based on the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rear Window, where there's been a murder in the movie. Now there may or may not have been a murder in the game, but one player plays like the director, the other players are playing kind of like the viewers, and they're trying to sort of sort out if there's been a murder and kind of who's who. Uh, kind of looking through the window, but based on cards that are getting played by the director's player. And so what happens is you're trying to, if you're the director and there's been a murder, then you're trying to get them to guess almost everything, right? But not everything, because they'll be able to guess who the murderer is. If there hasn't been a murderer, then you're trying to get them to guess everything. But you can't tell them. You don't, you don't, you don't disclose that at the beginning. They've got to kind of figure it out. So there's this weird kind of back and forth cat and mouse around that. It's like, is he being 100% truthful or just 80% truthful and all this kind of stuff. And this is a weird sort of translation part that you have to do to translate the images and all that kind of stuff. It's just a really, really cool game. Um, this game, you could play it two player. Um, uh, it works, although I think it's a little bit better with a bigger group of players. But you could also probably play it with infinite number of players, but that wouldn't really be fair, I don't think. And it would get too much like bogged down in discussions and arguments about, you know, what what does the director player intend? So the sweet side's probably three, four, five in there. And I think that's what the box says. But you could play it with like eight people, you know, no problem. Um, but it, it's again, uh, similar to Cryptid, Decrypto, that kind of thing. It's a very unique experience that I think will take a couple of plays actually to kind of get into and get kind of that that mindset to get into. Now, speaking of mindset, the alternative to this would be a game called Medium. Uh, and this is a game where, how do I explain it? You're like playing cards to your left and right of the people that are sitting around the table from you. And you're trying to sort of guess a word that joins your word that you played to each other. And you get like three chances, and then it's, you're almost like trying to read each other's mind in a way, but given some of the context of things, um, it was very interesting. Although this one has fallen flat with like half the people I've played it with, the other half really enjoyed it. But yeah, it's one that I would recommend you try because I think it's just a unique experience that you you should try. You may not you may hate it, but I think it's one that you should just give it a shot because it's just so different. Anyway, so that's number 32. And then the last one, number 31, is where words. And I'll just say the alternative now. The alternative would be One Night Ultimate Werewolf, I think, with the Daybreak expansion. So it would have been a few years ago I would have put One Night Ultimate Werewolf up higher on the list like this. But it's basically Werewolf, the, the old style game or the Mafia style game. Um, but where words, it gives you that extra little something to do besides just accuse each other of being the werewolf or the liar, basically. Um, because in the where words, you're playing 20 questions and you get a word and the mayor gets the word and the mayor might be a traitor. You might be a werewolf. You know, somebody might be the seer the mayor could be the seer and all these different kind of configurations. And then you just, you start the app that comes with it that generates the word for you. And then everybody's trying to guess the, the questions in like three minutes. And then if you get the word right, 
then the werewolves get to reveal themselves and they get to point out who they think the seer was. If you don't get the word at the end, everybody has a discussion and tries to vote out who the werewolves were. Um, this is easily my favorite social deduction game. I played a lot of them. You know, uh, Secret Hitler, Werewolf, uh, uh, The Resistance, and um, that new one with the pirate ship and the Cthulhu stuff. Oh, the Kraken. That one's a good one. But um, there's a lot of good ones. But to me, Werewords just takes the cake because you can play it in like, I don't know, five minutes. <laughs> and you can play it like 50 times if you want to in a row. And it's just so easy to get back in. And and the the meta dynamic between all the players can just persist over many days and many games and many years. But it's so quick and easy just to jump in and out of and play. And it gives you, again, with the werewords, with the 20 questions angle, the ability to do something else other than try to socially deduce who gets caught, you know, pointing the finger in a wrong way. You've got to, you've got to deduce all that through this other means, this other activity that you've got to like watch people. And I like that more than just like tripping somebody up in some kind of logic argument, which is fun too. And this will have some of that, but it has that other layer to it, which isn't really complex. It's just a simple game of 20 questions. And it gives you a jumping off point to start the accusations. And that's what I really like about it. Okay, so yeah, and the alternative obviously is one night, but it's werewords is basically one night, but with the words part. <laughs> so if you don't want to do the words part, I would recommend one night because that's a lot of fun too. Okay, so that's the last one for this one, and we'll see you next time.